0: open your copy of God's Word this morning to the book of 1 John. I want to introduce this book this morning. Uh, We finished up Romans last week, so we're going to start a new series, and really I'm going to start two series uh, in one uh, just so you know where I'm going. Uh, But um, I want to go through the book of 1 John verse by verse, but as I get to sections on the law of God, it's so much in this Book that I want to kind of pull back and spend some time on the law of God as well since um, it's become apparent to us all. We're living in such a lawless society. Just where do we stand with God's law and how does it impact us? How do we use it? Um, and we'll see a little of that this morning. But I want us to get a feel for, for the themes in the book of 1 John this morning. So we'll kind of survey through it. There was an old fruit stand beside the road, vegetable stand, fruit stand, and um, a couple came up to it and saw what looked to be an old farmer running the stand and said, "Uh, this your stand? He said, yeah, I've been here all my life. And they said, well, I bet you have seen and heard some very interesting stories here all your life. What's the most uh, maybe important mystery you've heard uh, working this stand? The man thought, oh, well, that's easy. It's the thermos bottle. The thermos bottle. He said, well, yeah, it it keeps all of my hot drinks hot in the winter, and it keeps my cold stuff cold in the summer. There's a big difference between keeping stuff hot and keeping stuff cold. How does it know? There's some mysteries God wants us to know. As I thought about the book of 1 John, I thought, God wants us to know... How to have happiness and how to sustain it. And yet, we have a world that doesn't know that. It's a mystery. God wants us to know how to be sure that we're going to be holy when we stand before God. We live in a world that doesn't know that. It's a mystery to them. God wants us to have a hope that is secure, we don't have doubts upon death the world around us that's a mystery that they really don't know God wants us to have a holiness that really changes us and sanctifies us makes us more and more like Christ and I think God wants us to know how to discern between information and misinformation And we live in a world that finds that to be a mystery. Those are four clear themes in the book of 1 John. I want to introduce you to them this morning. The word know, K-N-O-W, K-N-O-W, is found 40 times in the book of 1 John. Just try to take that in. God wants you to know something here. He doesn't want you in this world of mystery. He wants to reveal to you stuff in the book of 1 John. And he just keeps repeating over. I want you to know this. I want you to know this. I want you to know this. 40 times. I thought, you know, you could read the book of 1 John every Sunday before you come in here. And start to know these things. The reason I know you could do that is because I called up Siri this week and I asked her. I said, Siri... How long would it take to read through the book of 1 John? Her answer, 16 minutes. Okay, 16 minutes. The average reader can read 1 John in 16 minutes. What if you read it week after week after week, and you began to see these 40 no's, things God wants you to have firmly rooted in your life? It could change us. Let's look at uh, these four themes that, as as I've read through the book, that just pop out to me. First of all, a happiness that satisfies. Then we'll look at a holiness that sanctifies. Then we'll look at a hope that secures and a heresy that shackles. First of all, a happiness that satisfies. In the first chapter, verse 3 and 4, this says, that which we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father, with His Son Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. This is a, a joy or a happiness that's full. Complete. God doesn't want you just to be happy. He wants a fullness of happy. I thought of uh, the Wisdom's new little baby. They named her Sophia, which is a Greek word for wisdom. So her name is Wisdom, Wisdom. She's going to be smart. She's going to have a fullness of wisdom. And that's kind of like this text it's a happy, happy. God says, I don't want you just to be happy. I want you to be happy, happy. A fullness of happiness. A satisfying, complete happiness. And sadly, many people don't have that. That's a mystery. How do I, how do I have that kind of happiness? That I'm, I really am living the dream. I really am full with joy and happiness. You see in the text that I just read this word fellowship so that you too may have fellowship with us so the apostle john's writing i want i want a this horizontal person to person in person fellowship with one another but there's also a fellowship that's with the father and with his son a fellowship with god this happiness satisfying happiness is tied to relationships you all know you can get things and things bring you certain measure of joy until they're old and wear out and then you want new things because you're not as satisfied you're not as full as you used to be that's temporary happiness and satisfaction we all have that but when we get a happiness and satisfaction that's tied to relationships and those relationships are eternal relationships you see it doesn't wear us down it it continues to fill us up and he's tying said i want you to have so i'm writing this about these relationships fellowship with you fellowship with god i'm writing these things so that our joy may be complete he wants us to have a completeness of joy and it comes through significant relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. Fathers and mothers in Christ with God the Father, God the Son, through the Holy Spirit. He wants us to have that satisfaction. Let me show you a few other passages. Look at 1 John 3, 10 and 11. 1 John 3, 10 and 11 says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. You're going to see that theme all the way through. Distinction of who are the real people of God in this book. Who are the children of the devil? Who does not practice, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So there's, there's something about our relationship with Christ that not only enables us but causes us to love our brother, to love one another. Verse 11. for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. This is a foundational theme. We should, we do. Verse 14. We know, we know that we have passed out of death into life. So this is eternal because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So he's talking about a brotherly Christian fellowship that puts us into a, an eternal dimension. A relationship that's life, not death. Look at chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love's from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not uh, love does not know God, because God is love. And this is the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son, into the world so that we might live through him. This is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. We, we see that Christ has saved us. He's in us. He changes us. It enables us to love one another. Uh, one other verse there real quick. Verse 21. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Uh, I want you to think about just um, a DNA change. Christ comes into us. It enables us and causes us to love one another, love eternal people, to to love the church. We become lovers of church through Christ. We love Christ, the head of the church, but you can't love the head without loving the body. So we begin and must love the body also, which is the church of Christ. He says that just happens. Because it's now part of our nature. It's the DNA of a believer to love other believers. It's one of the reasons um, small groups are so important in our church. We know we need to be with one another. It's also one of the reasons fellowship time is so important in our church. Because we need that time to engage with one another. That time of fellowship that we have between now and discipleship hour. Both are important. And all the time I'm squeezing myself, others trying to well this is more important than that and the answer is no, not really. They're both very important. So when we um, stop here somewhere usually our service is 10.50 we're done. Then we've got 20 minutes to 11.10 before discipleship hour and we consider that very important. Because we need to love one another. We need to engage with one another. We need to build these fellowships because it's leading to our fullness of joy. As we fellowship with one another, it leads to a happy, happy. As we fellowship with God in here, it leads to a happy, happy. And then we need that discipleship, Tom. God requires us to make disciples, to teach one another every single thing He's ever commanded. So, we have to have that time too. But all of this leads to a holy um, happiness, a satisfaction the world doesn't have. If you still live like the world and you run out and you miss the fellowship and you miss the discipleship, you miss this relationship that God wants us to have that fills up our happiness and our joy. He says, You must not do that. You must engage in these fellowships, these relationships with one another because. That's what makes your joy complete. You start to gain a significance. Because you have gifts, they have gifts. You start sharpening one another. You start seeing value. You start seeing, man, this is is nice, this is a good life. Because I plug in, they plug in, we plug in, and we start worshiping God more, and it just fills us with a happiness and a satisfaction. That becomes part of who we are, In Christ. John deals with that a lot in this letter, our need to be more and more loving one another. It goes along with Romans 16 that we looked at last week, just taking affection to another level as we greet one another with a holy kiss. The body of Christ is to be known for its love, but we get the benefit of a happiness that starts to really, really satisfy. As we enter into eternal relationships, I've been trying to teach my brain to think about when I'm in front of another believer. If I'm in front of an unbeliever, I'm thinking, how can I share Christ? Because this person's missing what I've got. If I'm in front of a believer, I'm trying to tell myself, this is someone for whom Christ shed his blood. This is someone who's precious. And of great value, and I need to be careful how I treat this person, because they are a brother, sister, father, mother in the faith to me, and this relationship needs to be built up, and it will supply a happiness and a joy that satisfies. We begin to live that way it will change everything. Second, I want you to see a holiness that sanctifies in First John chapter two. Verse twenty nine, we have this text: it "says Now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming." It's a conditional sentence, isn't it? Um, 1 John chapter two, verse twenty. Now, little children, I want you to abide in him. I want you to. Um, Well, let me, conditions, verse 29, keep moving, excuse me, I read 28. If, if, there's the condition, if you know that he's righteous, you got confidence, he's going to give it to you. If you know that he's righteous, you may be sure that everyone who praises, practices righteousness has been born of him. Think about your practice of righteousness. Why do you do that? The reason you do it is because, again, you are born of Him. He has come into you. He's given you Himself, He's given you His Spirit. It changes your nature. You're born again. You are new in Christ. And that newness begins to change you and how you live and you start to practice righteousness which is the law of God. You don't practice it. You don't don't do the law of God to earn favor with God. You don't do the law of God to get saved. After you're saved, God says, if I'm going to come into you, I'm going to come in as the righteous one. And you're going to start practicing a righteousness that comes through Christ. Christ. there were some folks over at the house recently and they saw a family picture that we have on the wall and in that family picture is that you know i was pointing out children and grandchildren that kind of thing and then they just spoke up "Well, that's your daughter right there right and i said yeah that is i said how do you know and they said well you look just alike and i thought yes because she's gorgeous." You know, I, I, I saw that as a huge win for me. But we all know there's family resemblances that we have, what? Same DNA. We're, we are going to resemble one another if we share the same nature. And the same is true in Christ. We are born into a new nature in Christ. And we begin to resemble he who is righteous. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Notice his description. The righteous. Christ is the righteous one. He is without sin. Is he in you? If he's in you, you have righteousness within you. And you begin to practice righteousness. You have a holiness that keeps growing. It sanctifies you. Little by little, we are different. And it it will be preserved. Look at chapter 5, verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not... Keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. How cool is that? The evil one, Satan himself, in Christ, he can't touch us. He can still tempt. But he can't tear us down. He can't touch us. We're preserved. We're protected by Christ. And that preservation... That God grants us causes us to sin less and less and less. We don't have the taste for it anymore because we're filled up with the righteous. Christ Himself, the righteous. The more we're filled with Christ, the more we start to live like Christ. The less we sin, the more we're sanctified. We're growing to be more and more like Christ. Now, as far as my history goes, our society is at an all-time low when it comes to morality, when it comes to holiness, when it comes to being like Jesus. And if we're ever going to get our country back on track, it's going to take a revival in the church. It's going to take believers living as Christ. We have the power to not sin. The world doesn't have it. We have the power to not sin, to grow in righteousness, to be sanctified day by day through Christ, through his word, through his spirit. As we do that, they say, you've got something I want. We can share with them. The joy of a holiness that changes and sanctifies and makes us more and more beautiful. I, I always tell um, folks in premarital counseling, I said, now, what's your goal in this marriage? Talk about that a little bit. I said, no, your goal, let me you, give you a better goal, whatever it was. I said, let me give you a goal. And that is to pray for your spouse to be more like Jesus. And to do everything in your power to serve your spouse in such a way that you're building them up, encouraging them to be more like Christ. Do it both ways. Same goal. So guess what happens? Christ then is between the husband and the wife. And she's trying to be more like Christ. He's trying to be more like Christ. What are the spouses seeing? They're seeing more and more of Christ which is more and more beautiful than when they started. So the relationship just grows. Your spouse begins to look more and more like Jesus. And that's more and more beautiful. And that whole sanctification process just satisfies. It's like, wow, she's more beautiful than I ever imagined. She says, wow, he's more beautiful than I ever imagined. He, because of his heart, because of his nature, it's been changed. He's acting and living like Jesus in front of me. How cool is that? And the relationship just grows and grows. That kind of sanctification is what God wants us to have. And that cleansing only happens in Christ. First John helps us get there. Third, a hope that secures um, one of my favorite verses in the Bible here, 1 John 5.13, one of the first ones I I memorized, it says, I write these things to you, 1 John 5.13, who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he's writing to believers. He says, That you may know. None of one of these knows. I want you to know something, that you have eternal life. Do you know that? I want you to know. I don't want you to just think it. I don't want you to just feel it. I just don't want you to, to hope maybe when you die. I memorized this text when I, I didn't have a lot of hope. And I was facing death and I said, God, how can I be a believer and think if I'm going to die tonight, I'm crying out, God, I hope, I hope you take me, I hope you take me. I said, I should know this by now. I don't want to just hope it. I want to know. When I die, it's the best day of my life. That I am immediately in the presence of Jesus. I want to know that with a firm, confident assurance. God says, I want you to know that. That's why I wrote it. That's why I wrote this book. So that you will get to that level. And he wants us to have that kind of security. Look at chapter 4. Uh, verse 13, I read it a minute ago. by this we know that we abide in him and he 's in us because he 's given us his spirit. Paul says it differently in Ephesians he says, the spirit's the seal it's the guarantee it's in you to guarantee you that you're going to heaven you're going to know it. God 's not going to send his own spirit to hell. you're going to know as his spirit is in you you're going to start to know where you're headed. Where you're going, and you're going to know that with confidence. It's a hope that secures you. Um, if you've ever left your kids at home, especially for the first time, you know, they have that uh, mommy and daddy attachment when they're young and little. And so you, you try to ensure them it's going to be okay. Mommy and daddy are going away, but look. Windows are down, closed, doors are locked. you got food, you got movie here you can watch. And we hired a babysitter. Here, here she is, here he is. The babysitter is going to be, well look, our phones are already on speed dial to, to get mom and dad if you need us. We're, we're, we just want you to know you are not alone. We are with you, even though we're not. We've got the babysitter. We've got everything in place. You are going to be okay. It's secure. And I think that's what God's doing for us. He says, I'm going to put my spirit within you. You're going to be okay. My spirit is always going to be with you. It doesn't matter where you are, when it happens. You're with me. And I want you to know that. Nothing can make you more secure than me being with you always. And I want you to have that kind of hope feeling secure in Christ. If you're still having doubts, 1 John's going to help you get there. Uh, A hope that's really secure without doubt. And then fourth, I want you to see the whole theme of a heresy that shackles. This is a book that talks about uh, false teaching. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Children, it's the last hour, and as you've heard, that Antichrist is coming... So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. Don't miss the many. There's lots of preachers and teachers that talk about the Antichrist, like there's only one. This verse, matter of fact, um 1 John mentions Antichrist, and then 2 John mentions Antichrist, four of the few times it's only it's ever mentioned in the Bible. Because so this is a premier book on Antichrist. Antichrist, And he, he says, there's many of them. There's many of them right now in the first century. Not just one, there's many. People confuse the Antichrist with another uh, figure coming. But there's many Antichrist that are coming. He says, I want you to know that. Um, I want you to know they're out there. Uh, look at uh, verse 26, same chapter, verse 2. It says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. That's the Antichrist. They're deceivers. Satan himself is the deceiver. But Antichrists are people who are deceiving you. Look over at chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit... But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So he uses the language of a deceiver. He uses the language of a false prophet. He uses the language of many antichrists. But all of this is saying there are people that are looking to deceive who? You, the church. They attack the church. Why? The, The church has an authoritative, inerrant, infallible, absolute standard, the Bible. We have revelation sent from God, moved by the Holy Spirit through men to give us this book. And God in Christ maintains it without error for us. This is what we live by. This is what we love. We love the law of God. We love following it. People don't like that. And they attack us. People don't like the church. Satan does not like the church. He doesn't like us having the truth. Because Christ is truth. He wants to deceive us and get us to move away from Christ and away from truth. He says there has always been information that's true and then misinformation. And the people who should know that best is the church. And the church ought to be able to distinguish between what is inerrant, absolute standard, God's inerrant truth, and the misinformation you're going to get from many, 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 many sources. From many antichrists that are already with us, from deceivers, from false teaching. It is all around us. He says, I want you to know the truth. As I was looking through this, I, I saw an attack. It attacks against these themes. The world's, the Antichrist, the false teachers seek to attack our happiness. Um, look at 1 John 4, 20 and 21. 1 John 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not... He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And the commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. He says, so start distinguishing. You have a person in front of you who's telling you to do something that's contrary to loving the church. They're attacking, remember chapter 1, they're attacking your relationship with one another. God says, I called you to assemble together. Don't forsake the assembly of one another. I called you to engage in a weekly fellowship with one another. And the world will always try to pull you back from that. We've got other things for you to do or other places for you to be. They are attacking what will ultimately satisfy you, your happiness. Eternal relationships. With believers and with God, and we need to see that. We saw that during the pandemic. We still see it with people. We, you know, that was one of the first things: I was like, socially distance yourself, even in your own home. Can can you imagine not being here on Earth as an island, not in relationship with 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 Christ and His people, not assembling, not having in person fellowship? like really who, who would even dream of that see God says I have called you to a happiness that satisfies and you're getting moved and scared from it into an individualism that's not about the relationship to church you know you all don't have all the gifts you need each other constantly in your lives for happiness and satisfaction see the attacks that come and be willing to say, well, that's not God's way. God has called me to know the difference between His information and misinformation that's going to come to so, so many sources. And it really doesn't matter. I'm not, I can't cut off the sources. I have to be absorbed in Christ and His Word so I can know the difference. There's an attack on holiness. Um, look at chapter 1, verse 6. And 7 says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we're lying. And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as it is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We see this, like I said, over and over through the book. He says, liar, liar, liar. He's trying to show us there are people that are always giving us misinformation. And you know them by their fruit. The person here says, we have fellowship with him. Oh, I'm a believer. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. It's like 90% of America says they're Christians. Only 20% are in church. And only 2% of those have a biblical world and life view. He says, you begin to see people aren't living what they're saying. You need to have eyes to say liar, liar, liar. No, no, no. I can see how you live I heard, I heard what you said, but you don't live it. And so I can't believe it. The tree tells me what kind of fruit is coming. And he wants us to see that's an attack against our holiness. Those who are genuine believers, we don't just speak it, we walk it. We walk the walk, we're changed. The world's constantly wanting to attack our walk, make us like them. And we said, No, that can't happen because I walk the way I do because of my Savior. He's changed me, he's filled me with his spirit. And the world's always wanting to attack and say, Ah, just live together. I mean, you look at the news today, wow. You go through the Ten Commandments, what do you see on the news? You want to talk about murder? You want to talk about adultery? They want to talk about lying they want to talk about stealing they want to talk about the wealthy so that you can covet i mean you just go through the commandments and they want to get us to live that way and we say no no you're not a believer if that's your passion to talk about those things god's made us to be righteous there's a constant attack against our holiness and there's attack on our hope 1 John chapter 2 verse 22 First John 2:22 says who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ this is the antichrist who denies the father and the son there's so many attacks really denying who Christ is that he really is the only savior In my discipleship class last week, we talked about the the number of people or number of beings people pray to. Famous people we know in the news all the time. Praying to other saviors than Christ. They deny Christ is the only savior. We had a list like ten of people you know by name. Who don't pray to Christ. Who don't trust Christ for their salvation. And it's a constant attack that we would deny that we really need Christ. We, we could just be good and we'll be all right. And we know that's a lie from the pits of hell. We're not going to heaven because we were good. We're going to heaven only because Christ is righteous. He has chosen to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to fill us with himself that we might be righteous lots of people want to deny that message deny Christ what does that do when we start embracing what the world's spitting out it shackles us it's why I call this is a heresy that shackles we get chained up it's like being chained in your own home being chained away from each other. a Chained away f- from God. That's what the world wants to do. Give us information that keeps the church from being the church. Keeps believers from being believers. It shackles us. It holds us back from whom God has called us to be. What will 1 John do for us? I think it clears up a lot of presumptions. We're going to know, 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 know. We're going to know a lot. We're going to know a happiness that really satisfies as we get into this book. That's what we want. We're going to know a holiness that really sanctifies. As we understand how God's spirit and law changes after salvation, not to get saved. We're going to know a hope that just enables us to walk with confidence. I'm God's. I'm good. I'm all right. My life, I'm not afraid. I can't be afraid. Love, the love of God will cast out all fear. I can't be afraid because I'm secure. And we're not going to be shackled, but we're going to be unleashed. Because we know the truth. The truth sets us free. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, your truth. Thank you for the benefits, the beauty of being yours. There's folks in this room, Lord, always are, that they need you. Lord, we plead with you. Give them faith to receive you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, give us your spirit, your word, the encouragement, this fellowship. Give us All that we need to be built up into the beauty and the glory of Christ. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.